live from San Francisco and here on Clubhouse, it's the Good Time Show, bringing you today in technology. And now your hosts, Artie and Freewam. Hey folks, uh, welcome, welcome to tonight's episode of the Good Time Show. This is a show that Shriram, me and a bunch of folks, a uh, motley crew of people have been doing pretty much every night uh, for the last couple months or so. And we usually cover things related to tech, culture, uh, sometimes movies, TV shows, that kind of thing. And it's about an hour. We try and keep it to around this time. I know it's really difficult for East Coast folks. We try and record some shows from time to time. Uh, we do try and do East Coast friendly shows. We get a lot of requests on it, but keep the feedback, keep the requests coming, keep the comments coming. We are, we are on Twitter. I'm RTR, Shriram, Shriram K. Um, we, today's episode is going to be really good and we have a lot of people. So I'm going to uh, ask Shriram to do the intros. Awesome. Um, okay. So first of all, this is, I think, a little bit of an unusual episode for us because we usually have just one or two speakers. Uh, but this is an episode that a lot of you have been asking for for quite a while. Um, unless you've been living under a dark rock uh, in a distant cave, uh, you might have seen that NFTs have pretty much taken over the internet and taken over uh, Clubhouse. And we really wanted to do an episode and do it justice. And we wanted to do it with a lot of the key people at the heart of this. And I am so thrilled and excited and nervous to have the people uh, we have with us today. Uh, if you just Google any of them, you will see uh, a zillion press pieces on each one of these folks, uh, 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 you know, and, and kind of the work that they have done uh, in NFT. So, uh, so just so, so, so uh, excited for this. Okay, wait, I see uh, we need to get one more person on stage. All right. Uh, K1, you're here. There we go. All right. Okay. So, uh, and so, well, K1's here. So, uh, we just want to kind of put together some of the most interesting people doing work. And so, let me go through this. And it's really an all star cast. So, uh, first up, uh, we have Roham, uh, CEO of Dapper Labs. Uh, well, who are also behind a little thing called NBA Top Shot, you, which you might have seen quite just a few times around the internet these days. Uh, we have uh, Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple, uh, a digital artist uh, who's really pushing the boundaries of uh, NFTs and uh, has kind of taken over the internet, in my opinion. Um, we have uh, Justin, a.k.a. Blau, uh, who's, I think, you know, uh, really pushing the boundaries in the music space uh, when it comes to uh, crypto and NFTs. Uh, we have, uh, in some ways, uh, we have uh, Kwan Teranian, our foundation, which is uh, the best, uh, one of the most interesting ways to create, explore, and collect digital art. Uh, we have uh, Scott Lewis, uh, co-founder of DeFi Pulse, and who's deeply involved uh, in NFTX, which we will get to quite deeply in just a bit. Uh, we have someone who I've grown up admiring, uh, Kevin Kelly. Uh, his title, I think, is Senior Maverick at Wired Magazine, but he actually co-founded Wired in 1993, served as his first executive editor for seven years, and is just a legend. And, you know, I'm just so thrilled to have him here. Uh, we have Dylan Field, founder and CEO of Figma, uh, but who's also deeply involved in all things crypto. Uh, and we have Chris Dixon, uh, who, you know, who's my partner at uh, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, who does uh, a lot of things, uh, crypto, and probably the person that I go to when I need to know anything about crypto, and he's going to be kicking us off today. And uh, we have Mark Andreessen, 
who invented the browser and is to blame for everything you see around you today. So uh, with that, and uh, so this is going to be an interesting episode because we have so many people. And what I wanted to do was to go from the very basics and then we are going to kind of quickly go around the room and we have some stuff lined up for every person and we're going to go to really get into it. And we're going to really nerd out, really go deep. And there's been so much interest. So if you're listening to this and you want to send in questions, uh, just feel free to uh, tweet at us or text us to that uh, phone number that you see in my profile and we'll try and get to it. Also, uh, we're going to do this a series of these uh, because there's so much interest and so many amazing people. uh, And so we're going to try and do one um, pretty frequently. So give us thoughts and suggestions. So, but without further ado, I want to start with uh, Chris to go first and just tell us, what in Blazes is an NFT exactly, and why should we care? Yeah, great. No, thanks for having me, um, Shuram. So, um, yeah, an NFT is a uh, is a digital asset, sort of analogous to something like Bitcoin, um, except it's uniquely associated with a media asset. So something like an image or a video or an audio file, or it could be a piece of code or a game. Um, it's called NFT because it stands for non-fungible tokens. Um, Fungible means like interchangeable, like one Bitcoin's interchangeable for another. Non-fungible tokens, uh, they aren't interchangeable because they're they represent a unique media asset. Um, NFT has been around for a couple of years. Uh, people may have heard a few years ago, Roham can talk about CryptoKitties. Uh, there were a bunch of kind of early experiments. Um, a lot of these were built on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, since then, uh, there was a whole bunch of interesting experiments that went on. Um, but really over the last, I don't know, I guess a few months, uh, um, you know, they've kind of grown in prominence. We have a lot of people on, on in here who, who can talk about that. Um, and, you know, one one sort of obvious question, which I'm sure we'll dig into more, is why now? You know, what, why is this sort of happening now? I think um, that has to do partly with the infrastructure. So the blockchain's kind of the core, you know, base layer infrastructure like Ethereum, Ethereum scaling solutions, Ethereum wallets. Other blockchains like Rohan can talk about Flow, um, uh, and there's a bunch of other kind of blockchains that that, that kind of um, you know are working on NFTs. Um, there's there's sort of websites on top of those blockchains. Um, Kayvon will talk about Foundation. There's other ones like OpenSea and Nifty Gateway. Um, there's I think very importantly there's real communities now that have grown up around these things. Um, CryptoPunks is a is a really active community. There's a whole really interesting crypto art community that, that folks folks here in this room can talk about. Um, but it's still very, very early and it's exciting. I think there's gonna be a lot of experiments run and um, it has all the markings in my mind of like a really exciting kind of early movement, but there's so much more work to do that you know anyone who's sort of listening um, and excited about this, I think still has a lot of opportunity to kind of join and, 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 and sort of help build this. Um, so, Chris, I think, I think one follow-up question. Thanks for that. And uh, and we're going to get to everybody because I think each one of these it could be an own club or show. We're going to try and get all of it with just the guests we have today. Chris, I guess one follow-up question is, why now? Yeah, well, sort of kind of what, I mean, look, I think it's hard. I think it's a combination of like tech and culture. I mean, I, I think, so as I mentioned before, some of it is, is sort of infrastructure. Like you just couldn't have done this 10 years ago. They just didn't exist. The, the kind of the blockchains that you needed and uh, maybe you could have, but it would have been very difficult. Um, and so it's been a lot of work by a lot of people. Um, Scott on, uh, on stage here can talk about uh, the whole DeFi movement, which is this kind of other crypto movement, which I think helped build out a lot of the important pieces here. 
Um, I think part of it, my, my own opinion is cultural. Like people have now seen Bitcoin or heard about Bitcoin for 10 years. And that has, you know, people have understood that maybe, maybe Bitcoin is or isn't for them, but they understand the security model a little bit. They've read about it. They kind of get this idea that there's just, there's just kind of distributed, you know, decentralized immutable ledger. Um, and when someone says to them, Hey, you can, so, you know, there's a technology that that same technology mm -hmm. can now secure, you know, uh, a, me a media asset and mm -hmm. the provenance of that media asset and the origin and sort of give you this kind of certificate that says this is the original, like people, I think people kind of grok that in a way they may not have a decade ago. Um, and this idea that, you know, I think this idea too, I think that people, you know, are so obviously spend so much time online, but are used to this idea that you maybe, maybe you buy some goods in a game or you get various things in a social network, but then they go away. Um, and I believe part of the movement now too is people have this kind of desire to to own things in a way they do in the offline world, but they don't currently in the online world. Mm -hmm. I, I think personally that's this is me just pontificating, but I think that's part of kind of this appeal is that wow, I can people get the idea of ownership in the offline world, like you know why you'd want to own a house or a car or something else. We've never really had that concept mm -hmm. in the online world, and now we do, and that's really mm -hmm. exciting. It, I, I love this because I think like a lot of us, I grew up online and, you know, I'm going to get to like Mike in just a bit, but I grew up around uh, DeviantArt and all these weird mm -hmm. internet forums and you saw all these amazing creativity, but there was just no concept. I mean, the internet was so much for copying of things and just, you know, free, no cost replication. There's no way you could actually own things and prove provenance, which I think is possible mm -hmm. today, which I think gets me to, you know, probably the next case I want to get to. Uh, which is Mike uh, Mike Winkleman, but I, pretty much I think the entire world calls him people. And hey, <laughs> uh, Mike, I mean, I, I you know I was look. I did a bunch of prep, and I was looking at your bio. Right, you are a digital artist. You work with Eminem, Katy Perry, uh, SpaceX, Nike. Uh, but I think when people think of you, you know, one of the things which really interests me about you is one of the themes of the show is people who have been toiling away for many years and then are started, and kind of are having a moment right now. And I'm just kind of curious to get your backstory, right? Uh, you know, how you got into uh, digital art? How do you get into crypto art? How do you go from there to all of a sudden, or it seems like all of a sudden, you're selling over $3 million of crypto art just in December. You're with Christie's. So tell us your story. Who are you? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, thank you for that intro. I appreciate that. So, yeah, my name is Mike Winkleman. I release work as Beeple. And the funny part about this is sort of in the digital art community, I'm pretty well known. And I mean, I have like, you know, like almost 2 million followers on Instagram. So it's, it's not like I just kind of came out of nowhere with this. Um, but I think that speaks to, to the, how sort of separate these worlds were and, and how much there's a bunch of worlds converging, you know, around this technology. So probably the, the, project that I'm most known for is the everydays where I've been doing a picture every single day from start to finish that day um, for the last over 13 years since 2007. Um, and that's the piece that is being uh, auctioned with Christie's is the first 5,000 days of that. So every picture in this giant mosaic um, that I've made every single day since from May 1st, 2007 until January 7th, 2021. So just a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and so the pictures range from weird Buzz Lightyear milking shit to, you know, sort mm -hmm. of more 
last Buzz Lightyear milking shit. It, it's a, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a wide range of sort of like abstract stuff. Some uh, stuff is more abstract. Some is more sort of literal. Some touches on, uh, you know, current events, things that happened, you know, even that day. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of what I'm kind of mainly known for. And then I also do like short films and, you know, VJ clips and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Mike, I think, you know, one thing that really intrigues me about you is like, I, I, I'm somebody, you know, um, like a lot of people born in the eighties, I've grown up online around, uh, you know, message boards and forums and, you know, had wallpaper from like deviant art. And so your sure. style and aesthetic is so familiar uh, to me. And one thing which I love is you, and I would never say this unless you said it, you, you know, you talk about your work often being crap, right? And could you sure. describe your aesthetic and why you say that? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Each So each picture is, first off, I mean, I truly believe a lot of it is crap. Um, I, I think there's a, I still have a huge amount of room to grow and like get better and, um, you know, I think that that is a big piece of why I call it crap. Uh, the other thing is I it's it's always something that I did, you know, or a lot of obviously the everydays or something that I did just like in a couple hours that day. So to me, that's more of like a sketch. So it never really turns out quite how I would like it to be. Um, but people are nice to me and they they seem to like it. So. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, Mike, for you, you'd also done, you know, this uh, uh, Crossroads, which is this NFT that you'd sold recently, like $6.6 million or so. It's the single most expensive, um, you know, single NFT sold. Like, wh- what is, like, the backstory? What is the genesis of that? Sure. So I am very new to this space, to be quite honest. This is not yeah. something that I have, uh, you know, been aware of for years since the beginning, like other people. Um, I came to this space in mid-October. People kept hitting me up and being like, oh, you got to check out NFTs. You got to check out NFTs. And when I finally did, it was just like, oh, my God, this is like fucking amazing. Like this is, um, you know, just such an interesting technology that sort of merges all the things that I'm interested from art to I have a computer science degree to programming to, um, you know, sort of investing and, and things like that. So it really just like this light bulb. And I really just kind of fell down the, the rabbit hole. And, and the piece that, that resold, it just resold uh, last week for, for 6.6 million was um, part of the first drop that I did right before the election. There was a mm-hmm. piece that sort of changed, was going to change based on who won the election. So when, when the auction happened, it was in sort of one state where you kind of had Biden and Trump sort of floating, looking like they were going to, you know, beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. And then depending on who won, it was either going to change to Trump sort of, you know, kind of with this king hat walking yeah. through hell or the the piece that it is now where Trump is dead and people are just walking by and, you know, kind of yeah. not giving a shit. Yeah, which, you know, I think it's like a, <laughs> real world like a contemporary artist today uh this i think is just so it's it's very crypto and it's only possible in like the the age that we are in with like digital art and where you can be where this it's pretty much a decision <laughs> that you're making and it making it happen uh, mike i have a question this is kevin kelly um hey. the, the 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 piece that you resold and the other everydays do they have built in the contract for their uh, resale that you um get a um you get paid as when they're resold is that built into the contract right now 
Yes, that is built in the contract. And so that that's fairly standard with NFTs, like across the board, that they have a 10% sort of uh, royalty rate. And that can be changed. Mm-hmm. But sort of the, the kind of industry standard right now is is 10%. So the initial piece, that initial piece sold for 66000 mm-hmm. Um and then when it resold for six six point six million, I actually got you know six hundred thousand from that. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's definitely definitely interesting. Yeah, and uh, Justin, you know, just following from what we just asked uh, Mike for you, you know, you are one of those um, per, one of those people who've like been on this uh, intersection of finance, crypto, and music. Uh, and for and you've been doing this for years, where you know you've had like the first blockchain music festival. Um, I, I read your backstory. You basically turned down an internship in BlackRock and just got into music, became a DJ, and this has basically been your life. Um, you know, how how are you thinking about like you know where you are from your story that you started to you know the blockchain festival itself, and now like you know you've sold eleven million dollars worth of NFT music. Um, I, I guess for me, question is like, what got you into this world where you're getting into NFT and crypto, that side of things? And the second part is, how should, if I was a record label or if I was somebody who's in the very traditional music industry side of things, how would I, how should, you know, somebody like me think about it? Uh, should I be threatened by it? Do you see like record labels embracing it? What's the future here? Yeah, that that's all great. I, I just have to shout out Mike people for a second because... Yeah. One of the things that I kind of felt when people, when when you entered the space, because you're kind of the father of digital art and because so many people looked up to you, that's when I knew everything was going to change. When you when you posted, that. dude, when you posted that into the ether to your Instagram, I was like, <laughs> oh shit, this is the moment. And I appreciate I'm so glad that, that I, own I appreciate that. that. I'm so glad that I own that piece today. Nice, <laughs> um, nice, but. But, um, but dude, like you, you really set this insane trend in motion because you represent a collective of artists that have been marginalized and haven't been fairly compensated for the value that you create in the world. And I experienced the same thing with my art director, Slime Sunday, who has been making, you know, the art direction for Blau for the past five years. And, um, you know, I'll just kind of backtrack to the question, RT, um, about, you know, where I got started and how this has kind of all evolved. But I I basically started my journey in, in the blockchain space with the Winklevoss twins in 2014, or I think it was around 2014. I actually met them in, in Mexico um, on spring break when I was opening up for Avicii at a club uh, in Mexico. Kind of a funny story. And we just hung out and I have a background in finance so we could relate on a lot of things. And at that point, they invited me to you know hang out with them in LA during Grammy week. It was like, a really fun experience. And they were talking about Bitcoin. And I, of course, had no idea what this thing was in 2014. I didn't have a background in that. I had more of a background in you know, derivatives and economics. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was just really excited about this concept of frictionless value transfer in general, right? Like you don't need a government or a bank to tell you what to do with value transfer. You can just move money anywhere across the world whenever you want to. And you have full control over that. That was just absolutely fascinating to me yeah. in 2014. And so fast forward, you know, to 2017, when we saw this ICO boom, I kind of saw a lot of music projects pop up that, you know, had teams with barely any credentials or ties to the actual music business. And so I said, why don't we do something? Why don't we try to create a music festival that 
the fans could pool money, pick the lineup, right? And then share in the profits of, of the tickets. Like, why does there need to be a talent buyer that decides who's playing the festival? Why can't fans actually pool money and pick mm-hmm. the talent for their own festival? Of course, that would make that token a security. And, you know, at the time, there was no such interpretation. And then security tokens uh, or a, a securities uh, risk state outlook began to kind of formulate within the legal world of the blockchain space. And so instead of doing an ICO, we just, you know, decided to raise equity because we were very nervous about the idea of issuing a non-compliant token. So mm-hmm. um, this was all in between, between 2017 and 2018. And we threw this festival in, in Berkeley with 8,000 people, um, with Zed and Big Sean and myself and Matt and Kim. Mm-hmm. And instead of creating a token that you know, would potentially raise a lot of legal concerns, we, I worked with the Stellar Lumens team, uh, Interstellar, on building a mobile wallet and creating like just a QR code reward system at this festival mm-hmm. where you would basically, you know, scan QR codes around the festival to earn rewards and then you could spend those rewards on merchandise and other items in the festival. And of course, these tokens were non-transferable to comply with securities regulation and money transmission laws and all that stuff that we thought about in 2017 yeah. because I had a public reputation and I didn't want to take any risk. Um, one of the things that we did back then, and, and I don't want to talk for too long, but pretty significant moment that I had in my realization oh, of how Keep powerful. talking, keep talking. Okay. okay. <laughs> great. Um, a significant realization I had in 2018 um, when I started to explore the NFT space was I wanted fans to receive something from me as an artist in 2018. If they found me walking around the festival, they could scan the QR code on my phone and they would get a Blau loyalty token on, on Stellar Lumens. It was just a Stellar token. It was actually technically a fungible token. We only just made, we just made 50 fungible tokens instead of 50 non-fungible tokens, but that's a technical differential. Um, and so I worked with the Stellar Lumens team on this, and basically if a fan found me at the festival and scanned the QR code on my phone, they got this like rare digital asset that was a Blau loyalty token in their app. And what happened was like within five minutes, they were gone. Everyone was so excited about owning this like natively rare digital asset in their festival app. And I had this moment in 2018 where I was like, this is definitely the future. But the regulatory environment was too uncertain. And it was hard to say like how long it would take for you know everyone to figure out that this was a thing. Fast forward to last summer, um, I have to give all the credit to a company called Block Party that was doing blockchain ticketing mm-hmm. and an artist named Trevor Jones who is huge in the crypto art space. I saw uh, Trevor Jones sell his uh, crypto bull to Pablo, who's actually the same original buyer that bought uh, Beeple's uh, political piece that he released that sold for $6.6 Pablo was like super ahead of his time in thinking about how this stuff um, works and how big of a future it had. And I saw this huge sale that Trevor Jones did on Nifty Gateway for $55,000. And I said to myself, wow, it's time again. You know, between 2018 and 2020, you know, COVID obviously influenced this massive, like, just migration to the digital space in a way that we've never, we never could have predicted. And all of a sudden, owning something that's digitally native was cool. And Trevor Jones kind of proved that to me. And Pac, another, another great crypto artist, proved that to me. And so I said, wow, but there hasn't, like, no one's done music yet. So let's try that. So I called my art director, Slime Sunday, who's got a significant Instagram following. And I said, why don't we make some audiovisual art? Let's introduce audio to this NFT space that people are really excited about. And we started making um, clips of animations and music that I would never release on Spotify because the Spotify algorithm 
um, scares the shit out of me. And I don't want to release something that I'm afraid people might not like. So I have all these ideas that I've made. And, and Mike, I'm sure you could relate. People, I'm sure you could relate. We have ideas that we don't show the world, but we're still really proud of. And I was like, why don't we take these ideas and, and sell them to people? Like we, we spent so much time on these ideas and yet nothing ever happens with them. So we take this music that I've worked on, we pair it with beautiful visuals that Slime Sunday designed. And there was just native demand for these assets online. And, and I just saw this grow from what was a $23,000 sale in September of last year to you know what happened three days ago, which was $11.7 And I'm like, oh my God, this is real. Um, it's what I believed in for a long time. But I think that COVID has kind of accelerated this trend to digital ownership and the emotions that that creates for people. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's the journey in short. Um, wow. I, I have so many questions and, but I would say, you know, first of all, you have an amazing voice. So we kind of spoke about Chris having an amazing voice, but you have an amazing clubhouse voice, Justin. So I just, just thought you should know that. Uh, and second, Thanks, that, man. Uh, that, that story is so, so interesting. And we, we have a bunch of questions, but, you know, I, I want to come back to you and Mike. There's so much from the story you told us. Um, and, and I just so many questions. But I want to get to some of our other uh, guests uh, first. And I think up next is, uh, you know, Roham. And Roham, you know, I think, you know, uh, uh, look, there's no just no way around. Uh, but before we get that, I have to say, we have an, a new speaker uh, the, who just came up, uh, the one and only Baron Davis. Baron, can you hear us? Baron? Uh, well, we have Baron Davis as a speaker. Uh, you should unmute yourself. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, we're going to try and get him to jump in in just a bit. But yeah, uh, the reason I was going to um, mention Baron is, you know, unless you've been living under a dark rock, uh, you know, NBA Top Shots has been, you, know, you can't ignore the phenomenon that is Top Shots. And, but Roham, I think the question for you is, you know, with Dapper Labs has been around for many years. Uh, I think you, you you guys actually one time were working on Facebook apps, uh, which is back when I was working on Facebook. So could you just tell us the backstory of like Dapper Labs, you know, going all the way to CryptoKitties, which I think was sometime around like 2017 and all the way to Top Shots now, because I'm not sure folks realize how long you've been, you know, at this. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Shreem, and thank you for, for having me. Uh, so the story of Dapper Labs, so Dapper Labs actually, we started formally in February of 2018. And, you know, Chris Dixon and Fred Wilson were two of the first people that believed in us and, and uh, helped us create a company to go after the vision. Um, CryptoKitties, we funded and developed um, out of my previous company, which was Axiom Zen. Um, and that was sort of a venture studio where we worked on many different ideas and actually many of the first team members. I mean, I started with my brother and uh, uh, Pierre is in the audience here. Uh, Dieter is my CTO now at, at Dapper Labs. And um, so that was the incubator venture studio um, that we, we, we created CryptoKitties out of. Um, but really the idea with Dapper Labs was, you know, we've, to, to Blau's point, we've proven that customers want this. And, you know, something we didn't really share externally was CryptoKitties had six, 7,000 MAU uh, the entire time, even throughout, you know, the worst of crypto winter. Um, customers really want to own assets and communities that that they care about, and um, and sort of have agency in this in this way. Um, and we just needed to build out the infrastructure, make sure that both from a sort of technology and platform perspective, as well as from a user experience, uh, payments, safety, onboarding uh, perspective, we've created something that can support uh, something like the MBA. And so 
you know, we, it was a little bit of a crazy idea from, from 2018 to sort of, you know, just, just start building. And we, we didn't know how long it would take. And, you know, at first we started trying to build on Ethereum, uh, but then ended up uh, deciding that, that we have to go our own way and uh, built out a whole new blockchain for the, over the course of a, of a year or so. Um, launched everything publicly in October of last year. And so far, we're almost at $300 million in peer-to-peer wow. um, -peer volume, which is, wow. you know, 10x what CryptoKitties did uh, or has done. It's, it's, it did a million bucks yesterday, so it's still, it's still, uh, it's still moving. But, you know, we, we kind of just showed you, you take the limitations away and um, you, can, you can create communities that are, that are real. And, and to Chris's point, it's the community that, that I think is different this time around where there's thousands of people that, that get it. And so when the hundreds of thousands come, um, there's already sort of a, a group of folks that can, you know, explain some of the details, lay people's fears at rest. Hey, look, this is all actually secured by the blockchain. It's super transparent. You're more in control than you ever were before. Um, and, and people really like that. Love it. But that, that number is just amazing. And uh, uh, hey, Baron, can you hear us? Hey, what's up? Sorry, that was my kid. My kid was uh, just woke up. He needs some attention. Thanks for having me, guys That's and ladies. Good. Thanks for joining us. Baron, okay. um, uh, 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 we're going to get to you just a bit because, you know, I think I have so many questions, um, including, uh, you know, what, uh, what moments from your career you want to see, you know, with uh, Roham's work. Um, Roham, I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, it, it, you've been at this for so long, and in some ways, I think you're living in the eye of the hurricane. At what point over the last, say, six months to a year, did you feel like, oh my gosh, this might be something real? Because it feels like, you know, you are at the heart of pop culture now in, in so many ways. Well, I mean, um, I, I, I like to think we've sort of helped conviction throughout throughout the past three years because... You know, it was it was a lot of work to to get here and and to keep a hundred people uh, sort of rowing in the same direction for for that period of time, um, when maybe the wider market didn't even know what an NFT was, um, say say six months ago. So we've had a lot of conviction for 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 a long time. The thing that that I've been just so it's just so cool uh, is how quickly kind of basketball culture has has really made Top Shot uh, you know its its own thing and. You know, when you had Adam Lefko and Shaq on, on TNT saying, put it on the top shot or, you know, uh, <laughs> Damian Lee and and, um, and uh, Tyrese Halliburton swapping top shots instead of swapping jerseys. Like that's that's just so cool to see. I mean, today, I don't know if you saw, but the NBA announced the rising stars through a top shot pack. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, that's that's the kind of engagement that, you know, to be frank, I expected we'd we'd need to sort of prove things out over a course of longer, but, but I'm just so excited that it's happening now and, uh, and that it just feels so, uh, authentic and, and, uh, it feels like we're just getting started. Uh, well, congratulations. And, you know, I, I know it's like, it's been such a long journey and I'm just so happy for you folks. Uh, we're going to ask you a lot more. Um, but you know, I think for up next, I want to go to, uh, K1 Taranian and who's the founder and CEO of foundation. Um, K1, you know, just like I think the others we have spoken to, you are also at the heart of all things crypto art. And could you just talk to us about, you know, when you when when you see collectors and you know they see the trends that is motivating them, 
you know, what is motivating all these collectors and what are you seeing in the space, especially, you know, um, with foundation and what role does foundation play in all of this? Yeah. Thanks, Rurong. Um, Yeah. I mean, collectors, I mean, I, there's many collectors on stage. I mean, Justin, I know is a prominent collector. He's collected already on foundation. So it'd be great to hear from as well. Um, but I think as we've, we've mentioned, it's, it's, it's a totally new behavior on the internet that we've never had before. And so we have all of these incredible, um, you know, artworks that have always lived on the internet and that we've given millions of likes to, right. And I think Mike's talked about this. He has millions of followers on Instagram that are giving him millions of likes, but there's now an opportunity for a fan, a true, true, true fan to come in there and actually own that artwork. And I think that that just creates a totally different relationship between the collector, the artist, and the artwork. And, and that's something really special. And we've never had that on the internet. And, and I think what you're seeing with collectors is, is that relationship just kind of feeding off of itself, right? Where it's like you, you, you have that experience once and it's so real that I think you just, you end up saying like, I want to go support and find other artworks I love to the point where like, you know, I think people and mass are going to be doing this and they're, and they're doing it right now. And that's why you're seeing this explosion because the behavior is so real. And then also I think just in crypto, there's just this general desire to be first, to be early, to be a tastemaker, to push things forward. And we're just in that moment where there's just, just an incredible opportunity to be collecting you know, first pieces from just every artist you've known and gotten so, you know, accustomed to just seeing their work and now you can own it. And, and I think a lot of people are just jumping at that opportunity and experiencing that for the first time. And it's, it's a really real feeling. And I'll, I'll even personally speak, you know, I've collected from probably um, over 10 artists at this point and, and I just have such a deeper connection to each of them now. Um, and that's something that that is that we've now created through this technology, and I think we're gonna, you know, we're going through the process where the the culture is absorbing it, and it's gonna change, and it's 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 a special moment, and I think that's why this room's packed right now as well. Yep. Uh, uh, by the way, I have to say uh, th- thank you so much, Kevin. I have to say, you know, we are getting just so many tweets and DMs, uh, uh, and kind of like uh, on it. That's just testament to just the people here in who are just really pushing the culture and the technology forward. Uh, so thank you. And thank you for everybody tweeting, uh, tweeting us. We'll try and get to some of the questions and, and comments, you know, uh, during this show. Um, up next, I want to go to Scott. So Scott's a co-founder of DeFi Pulse and, you know, deeply involved with the NFTX. Um, Scott, I'm just curious to get your take. You know, could you just explain to us what NFTX is? And like, how do you think the worlds of DeFi and NFTs would like wind up intersecting in like the months and years to come? Um, yeah, so the first thing to I think to know about NFTX is it's an open organization mm-hmm. um, with kind of tokenized with a governance token. And so it functions like a lot differently than a startup. And it like really puts the focus on like op- open source work, um, open protocols, and then also just sort of like the way basically anyone can contribute to NFTX. And then, like, like if, if contributors are making good contributions, they may be invited to, like, kind of be paid, which we're about to announce the first slate tomorrow of, like, a squad, a consumer's product-focused nice. squad. Um, but what NFTX is 
like MVP uh, protocol is, is it's these kind of vaults or D1 funds where you can put um, any NFT that's like that's uh, like a, a, a floor crypto punk or a hash mask into the vault and then you can get an ERC-20 token back. And then you can use that ERC-20 token in DeFi, whether like on Uniswap or wherever. And then when you want to get a hash mask or a crypto punk back from the vault, you just burn that token and then you can get um, any of randomly any of the NFTs in that vault back. So it kind of creates a different type of marketplace um, than sort of the bulletin board style systems uh, that you see for most uh, kind of one-off, one-off NFTs. Uh, uh, that's fascinating. Uh, okay, I'm going to come back to you. Um, I, I think, but you know, just kind of round out the interest, and this is an amazing group, you know. Um, and um, but I think in some ways, this person it was kind of like you know uh, one of the first people to um, to really uh, understand the power of a small community of fans and what it can bring. So, uh, Kevin, you know, uh, I've been a fan of yours for decades, and you know, and I think in some ways you're kind of the OG person to bring optimism um, to technology and you know, I grew up reading Wired. Um, I, I would love to kind of get your take on just what you're seeing in the space now and also how this is tied to you know your original uh, piece on uh, uh, a thousand true fans because I think so much of this is tied to building online shelling points of communities be it you know Justin's fans or Mike's yeah. fans. So just curious to see, get your take on what you see happening now and how this ties to your thousand true fans comment. Well, I wanted to explore a paradox that I see emerging. And that paradox is sort of based on the general trend in the last couple of decades in the digital world that we've been moving from ownership to access. So as it became clear that we could reach for any music anywhere in the world anytime, it became less and less important that you own the music and more that you had access to it, like with Spotify and others. The same thing happened with films and movies and videos where you could have anything you wanted or you could watch anything you wanted at any time, anywhere by getting access to it. And so therefore owning a film or a movie or a video or DVD became actually a liability. And that's been true across books and now art, where the aspect or the benefits of ownership keep decreasing while the uh, benefits of access keep increasing. And now we have these NFTs, which are sort of going in the opposite direction. They're kind of moving ownership forward again. And the question that I'm asking is, is, this seems like a paradox because it may be that the ownership is still a liability. You have to store it. You have to catalog it. You have to secure it. You have to find it. You have to be able to retrieve it. And these things are non-fungible, so they can be destroyed. And most of the things that most people buy are never resold. Most of the stuff in the world that we buy and purchases is not resold. They're they're worn out or we discard them or they're disposable or we forget about them. And so we are, so these things are kind of going in the opposite direction of the general trend. And I wanted to kind of explore that paradox because it seems to go against the general drift of what we've been seeing 
in the digital world overall. So, so Kevin, I think that's a great point. I think that you could look at that question from two sides. One is the, the you know, kind of the user, the person buying the NFT, and the other is the creator. Um, I think I think an important point is creator economics, right? And I, I would I would maybe ask um, Justin, for example. I think Justin, I saw you tweeting. I think you were tweeting about this, or maybe I imposing something on superimposing something there. But like my understanding of the music economics is like if somebody plays a million songs of yours on Spotify, you get you know I don't know something on the order of a thousand dollars or something. And the you know the the, the Whereas a lot of the economics and music, I think, has shifted to the offline world because of the scarcity of merchandise and things like this. And so, you know, I think the access model, as you describe it, hasn't been great for, I think, musicians, for visual artists, uh, for, you know, a whole bunch of other kinds of, you know, maybe maybe video games have been the one, um, uh, you know, kind of category that's done well. Um, so, I, you know, I think you got to look at it from both sides. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't know, I, I would put it to the artists in the room, I guess, who know much more about it than I do. Yeah, Chris, you, you oh sorry, someone else were you gonna say something? No, go for it, Justin. Chris, you're hundred percent right. I, I think that in the past decade, all of my income has been primarily touring income for performance. And that makes sense because people pay for tickets to come to see me perform. They get a an exclusive experience that they can only get once in that moment of time. Whereas the entire world has treated digital content as completely pervasive and easily copied for forever, right? Since the existence of the internet. It's really easy to copy a file. What's interesting is that all this media creates emotions in people and capturing the value of those emotions is pretty much impossible the way that the internet has, has existed um, since its incipiency, right? So when you think about like, in my case, um, my favorite example that I like to give people is there have been a bunch of weddings from fans of mine where, where my fans who... Uh, are getting married will walk down the aisle to the acoustic version of one of my songs called How You Love Me. And it's a significant moment in their lives. And all of them will, will message me and say, hey, check out this video. We walk down the aisle to, your, to the acoustic version of your song, How You Love Me. And I'm like, wow, the fact that I could create that value in their lives is absolutely incredible. But there's no way to capture that. You can't capture that emotional value with, um, Chris, as you said, a third of a cent per stream, right? Like, does the emotional value you get from a song really equal a third of a cent if you really love it? So there's this huge discrepancy between the emotional value people receive from music and what's actually being paid out from a streaming platform. And that, that's why I've been so excited about NFTs is because when you own something, it gives you a different feeling. And I think Mark Andreessen in the room gave my favorite example that I use in every conversation, which is the Honus Wagner baseball card example. Mm -hmm. it's, it's 50 cents of physical goods and $3 million worth of virtual goods. I mean, Mark, do you want, do you want to give that example? Because it's my favorite. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's like, we're all surprised that there are these things called virtual goods, but it's like, you know, Sri Ram, you know, sort of famously within his uh, friend group, you know, collects uh, sneakers that he doesn't wear, which is just this, like, you know, as a, as a Midwestern kid from the 70s, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Um, but like, you know, it's like whatever. It's like, you know, it's like $5 of plastic. It's like $300 of, of, of retail costs. There's $295 of something in there, right? And, you know, some of that is distribution and so and marketing and so forth. But like a lot of that adds up exactly to what you're saying. It adds up to an emotion. It adds up to a feeling. It adds up to an affinity. It, it, it adds up to a, a sense of tribal identity. Uh, it adds up to self-expression. You know, it, 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 it adds up to, 
you know, being able to appreciate aesthetics and being able to appreciate different kinds of art and being able to, you know, appreciate different kinds of culture. Um, and so, you know, it's like, you know, that this, those sneakers or that baseball card are just are much more about the intangibles already today. Right. And of course, like th that, these examples themselves aren't new. Like if you go back further in time, you know, this, this, this is the origin of, uh, you know, of, 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 of art, like of, of, of actual art. Like, you know, my, my avatar these days is Lorenzo de' Medici. And like, you know, he was, you know, patronizing all these artists who would use, you know, whatever, and you know, in current dollars, you know, whatever, I don't know, $10 of paint and canvas to, you know, paint the Mona Lisa, right? Like <laughs> the Mona Lisa is, you know, 99.999% of virtual good. Uh, and so, and then I think there's like a criticism of this, which is like, this is some, these things are somehow lesser uh, because they're virtual. And I, I, I take the other point of view, which is, I think they're more, which is to say they're, they're, they're kind of further up the stack of sort of human creativity. Um, and they're further up the stack in terms of self-actualization. And so it's like, right. When, when we have our material needs taken care of, like that's when we really start to think about things like art and culture in all of its mm -hmm. different forms. Um, and that's when we really start to think about like what it means to be a human being and what it means to be part of a community and what it means to express ourselves. And, and, and that's where all this stuff becomes, I think, actually like extreme, extremely important. And in the long run, maybe, maybe the most, maybe the most important things. It, you know, maybe I actually, you know, one person I want to get uh, a take on, and this is actually Baron. Um, Baron, I'm kind of curious, just get your take on this question. Um, um, because in so many ways, I think like, Mark, Mark made fun of my, uh, you know, uh, you know, sneaker collection. But the sneaker uh, community has always had uh, recognition of the intangibles, right? Everyone knows what the flu game was. Um, everyone knows uh, what Jordan 11s mean. And I think there's always been a connection to that. Uh, but I'm kind of curious to get, just get your take on, uh, you know, just this. And also, like, wha what excites you about NFTs in general? Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. No, I'm super excited. Uh you know, one, just to hear everybody talk and speak about it. I think the most important thing that, you know, that we talked about or that I've heard is ownership, right? Is passion, is emotion, right? And something that, you know, people feel holds special value to them, right? And so, you know, for me, I think whether it's a sneaker, whether it's a trading card, um, you know, whether it's clothes, whether it's digital art, they all play a part in, let's say, the theme and the narrative of your life, right? So as a young kid growing up collecting basketball cards, I still have those basketball cards today because that was the way that I got a chance to interact with the NBA, right? Top Shop now for my kid is giving them the experience to interact with the NBA, but also to hold on to that memory of interaction that they saw. So, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, one for, you know, when I start thinking about it, it's like, you know, think about the ownership for the athlete, right? If we're talking about Spotify, right? Um, and Three Lou was talking about, you know, ownership of his album and what he did. Imagine when, you know, Vince Carter gets to, you know, basically partner and now have ownership, right? And something that he created, right? That can, that he can authenticate and the fans can be a part of, right? And so whether it's scarcity or a moment, I feel like, you know, we are in this, you know, amazing time where, you know, digital is actually taking shape, mm -hmm. right? And we have the opportunity to build, you know, kind of a new infrastructure, 
right? And 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 a new time capsule for you know our kids and the future and their future. Yeah, and I, let me just add one one more thing. On, on, those are great points. Um, just one more thing on I think Kevin Kevin's original question, which is like, think of it the other way around, right? It's like, well, ask any art collector if they've got a piece of original art hanging on their wall. Um, ask them if they feel threatened by the fact that there are an infinite number of digital um, uh, representations of that art that are freely available to everybody in the world, right? Um, or that there are an infinite number of cheap prints, right? That, that basically, like you know, visually these days, like prints are really good, and so like it's it's actually can be hard to tell. You know whether something is like a recreation of the original, and you know, and as, as somebody like you know, does, does the art collector feel like their art is less valuable because there are reproductions uh, that aren't the real thing? And of course, and again, the extreme case of this is, you know, is the Mona Lisa worth less today, you know, hanging in the Louvre than it was, you know, 100 years ago when it was when it was, you know, not easy to get a reproduction of it at all, but you know, today it's trivially easy to get it. And of course, the answer is, you know, the Mona Lisa is worth far more today. Um, and so the the the, the this sort of tie. Uh, of something unique uh, in the sense of ownership is, is, is I think like is for these kinds of things is just is extremely primal. So um, I just want to. I'm, just... I'm wondering if we are imagining whether the portion of art that is collected overall compared to all the other art that is sold. So like most of the music in the world, would we expect a large portion of it to be kind of collected and owned? Because right now the the art world that's collected is a very small part of the total world of visuals and um, design. And so, um, do we see? Do you kind of imagine this expanding the realm of the added, changing people's attitude about art in general? Um, I, is that Matt, part of the vision? Matt, I, I think, think it's ma massively so, Kevin. Uh, it, you know, we're all connected to the internet now and it's going to just create, I mean, the internet democratizes, right? And so it just becomes that much more accessible. And in, in this case, I think we're going to move into a world where like, you know, everyone's going to have quote unquote, an art collection. I think that's going to sound very, pretend that's pretentious to us right now because so few people can afford to custody and put expensive art in their house. But in, in the internet sense, I mean, everyone's going to want to have an identity and an expression. And that's, and, and I think, you know, everyone's going to want to do that. And, and the internet's going to enable that. I mean, it's as simple as having an internet connection and a crypto wallet. And mm -hmm. we're rapidly seeing that it be adopted, um, you know, at a compounding rate. So I don't know, I don't know when we'll hit that inflection point, but it's happening. And I think it's going to change I, art collecting. Like, I, I think art collecting sounds really, really pretentious. Yeah. Just because of, of the current culture, but I think the, the future culture is going to think of art collecting yeah. as like you have an online mm -hmm. identity and everyone has an online identity. Yeah, I have a few thoughts also, here. Sorry, Dylan. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I have a few thoughts here. I mean, I think that, first of all, uh, one thing that's always driven uh, a lot of different artistic movements and, and different periods is the question of what is art. Uh, and I think that this is no different. But also, I think that if you look at the history of the NFT space, um, I've been watching this since, I guess, sort of like fall 2017 now. And we've kind of gone from art to games, uh, to speculative communities, back to art again. And I think that uh, that cycle will continue. What we're going to see is we're going to see people really engage with the communities they care about. And NFTs will be a financialization, a speculation a way to uh, basically uh, have financial incentives attached to their fandom of those communities. 
And those might be of artists, it might be of games, it might be of musicians, it might be of designers, it might be of, of different classes of media that you know we're not really talking about today. But I think that it's going to end up uh, monetizing uh, creation in a different way. I think it's going to end up, uh, as we're seeing, if you have financial incentives, it also really creates a rabid fan base uh, and will end up uh, almost being sort of like a decentralized Patreon in some ways. I think there's also infrastructure that doesn't exist yet that we're going to see come into existence. For example, um, I think that the communities and Discord channels that are popping up around some of these projects are extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that over time, what we're going to see is basically as as folks like like Beeple or Blau create more art, put it out there, they have more decentralized ownership groups. Those communities, they'll have like sort of their ticket in, which is the NFT. And then they'll sort of talk in public spaces about the art. It'll be almost like a moderated conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that over time, this will become even bigger as we get to gaming. And that's an entirely another world where we get to more of the metaverse. Yeah, I just want to chime in here because I think we're talking about a yeah. false um, a false dichotomy because NFTs aren't just about ownership. They're also about access. I mean, Justin's NFTs give uh, the owners access to him and through to future things he will release. And, and NFTs are just keys that are owned by, they can be created by anyone and owned by the people that own the, that buy them rather than living on, you know, third-party uh, websites um, or platforms like, let's say, Ticketmaster, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. So, so in effect, we're kind of talking about a false um, distinction here because you can create NFTs that are free and that just represent ownership. You can create them, you know, and the fact that they're digital means they can be, you know, they can be very cheap if they're on a blockchain like Flow where the transaction fees are cheap. Um, and those are access keys that uh, an artist or a creator can sell or a brand like the NBA can sell directly to their fans like a physical object. And it's not controlled by a game company um, or by a, you know, Fortune 500 sort of social media platform. Um, it's sort of the, the, the relationship is direct. Um, so I just wanted to make that quick, quick point. Obviously, here people are smarter about me than smarter than uh, about art than, than I am. But no, dude, you're, you're changing the world, bro. You're changing the world. Exactly. I love it. Uh, okay, okay. Well, wait, wait, wait. I want to quickly reset the recap the room, um, 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 because we have so much to get into still. Um, first, so for everyone joining in, um, uh, thank you. This is the nightly good time show that we do at 10 p.m. Um, almost every single weekday. Uh, we have uh, guests and cover things in technology and culture. And this is probably you know the one of the most interesting episodes we've ever done um, with pretty much the who's who are uh, pushing the world of NFTs forward. Uh, you can pretty much Google anybody uh, at, on the face file at the top. And you will see, you know, how they're just doing some amazing work. So, um, and if you want to just break, send in questions, you can tweet at us. Uh, there is a text number that you can text questions to on my profile. Um, and, uh, but yeah, keep them coming. This has been amazing to listen to. Um, uh, Avichal, I think you have a question. I wanted to throw to you. Yeah. So I, I kind of had a question somewhere at the intersection of everything with Dylan, Kevin, Kayvon, you all were talking about, uh, you know, the the financial incentives here, I think, are really interesting. I think Rohan will probably have some thoughts on this, too. I'm curious, especially from the creator side, how do you all think this plays out? Like, is this a space where, given now, you know, what looks to be a lot of money at play, that the big brands and rights holders and, you know, the traditional media folks that have IP come in and say, hey, this is real, and and they're the, the sort of dominant use cases? Um, you know, there was sort of, um, you know, I think... Uh, 
Niantic and Pokemon might be an example where like, you know, people have such affinity to, to existing brands that that's actually what they gravitate towards. Or do you think this is more internet native and this is really like unlocks the tail for independent creators? And I'm just curious how you think that that sort of dynamic plays out given that there is, it does look like there's gonna be a lot of money at stake here. Yeah, Avichal, it's gonna be both over time. And I think that uh, it almost doesn't matter at this point. We've hit such an inflection point in people adopting and recognizing NFTs as a collectible. Uh, I think what's going to happen is first, we're going to see a bunch of different independent creators that are realizing that they can uh, really connect with their fan base over this medium. And then over time, we're going to see these bigger brands and franchises, as you pointed out. Uh, but I also think it's going to come in waves. What we've seen in the past for NFTs is that there usually are hype cycles uh, around different projects, because that's what you get with speculative activity uh, is hype cycles. And then over time, uh, if you're able to maintain that community, then it's going to be really powerful. And so um, I think we're going to see a bunch of those cycles all at once right now. It'll die down for a bit, but this is here to stay as well. Well, I mean, from I can I can give you my experience running foundation, which is it is absolutely in the hands of independent creators right now. They are the ones that can move fast. They own their IP. Um, they're experimental. And they're the ones absolutely driving this revolution. Uh, the money is obviously attracted uh, all sorts of attention, but you know, big brands, uh, institutions—they just—they have a lot of questions. They have a lot of hangups. They don't know how to move forward. They have to hold and uh, consider their existing business models, and so it, it really is something that is is in the hands of independent creators right now. Will that change? I, I mean, I think the money is gonna is of course gonna attract them. I don't know how it plays out exactly, other than I do think this is a this is a democratizing revolution and so you know of course of course established players will enter but ultimately you know a 20 year old with a wallet can create their career now um without ever having to go through a gallery or a record label there's just yeah there's there's new powers here and so i think i think that's what it's about i don't i don't i don't that's why that's why i get up every day i just i just wanted to say that for the past four days uh, I got more. I've gotten at least ten times the amount of text messages that I did on my bir- on my birthday in January in the past four days. It, it, it's and it's all from you know executives from the legacy world and also from other musicians. I would say that like some of the conversations I've had have been so frightening to the extent that there is so much FOMO from the traditional music world, and I've actually elected to kind of turn that off because it's, there's so much noise and people are so excited about the dollar signs and not thinking about how to create value. Um, I, I have to say, I haven't slept for like the past four nights since we did the auction. It's been, it's been kind of crazy. And uh, I'm lucky that my management team flew into Vegas uh, last night just to understanding the, the magnitude of what happened. And some of the conversations that are happening in the background are, are really scary in the sense of the legacy world's kind of understanding that they are being challenged. And they are, they are scrambling. And I can say that personally, like the biggest legacy music companies are fucking scrambling to figure out how to capture this. And yeah, my, it's really interesting. My hope is that we get to a point mm-hmm. where people really recognize the value of this technology for creating community rather than turn into mm-hmm. a pure tool to drive uh, monetary value. Mm-hmm. I don't think this can be the case because there's too much monetary value to drive, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and, and that's why we're going to kind of see these cycles unveil. 
and unfold. But I, I do think that I'm a believer in the long-term value of building communities through NFTs. Um, I think actually I was going to get to this question, Justin, I'm happy you brought this up, which is the reaction of the legacy world to this. And I'm just curious. I mean, Justin touched upon this. Mike, I'm curious, I mean, because, you know, you kind of been like interacting with the, uh, you know, the I would say the old school world, uh, you know, with Louis Vuitton and Christie's. What has your experience been with, you know, kind of the old school uh, you know, well-known brands and fashion and art, you know, be they brands or auction houses and how they are reacting to your work and to NFTs. It's kind of like the yeah. art world parallel to what Justin was talking about with the music industry. Sure. Um, to be quite honest, I am quite new to these, uh, you know, sort of traditional art, art world because being a digital artist, that is not part of being a digital artist, uh, you know, prior to this. Um, it was client work, freelance work, uh, you know, nobody was making their, their living as a quote unquote artist where they had collectors and, and that because, you know, before NFTs, it just wasn't possible. Um, but I am seeing, uh, you know, there's definitely, uh, I get a sense that there is some sort of both fear and, and, uh, you know, extreme interest in this, uh, from the traditional world. And, and I think, um, I think it's something that you're going to see a lot of traditional artists. It's going to push them to make their art more digital. And I think you're going to see a lot of digital artists. It's going to potentially push them to make their art more physical. And so I think it's really just going to unlock this explosion of on both sides of creativity. And I think it's, it's just going to be a really, really exciting time. Um, and I don't think you know, to the earlier point of what is, you know, our brand's going to come in or this or that. I, I think this is going to be like, what is the use case for the internet? There's a million use cases. We're still figuring it out. Um, and I think this is going to be like that. I think it's going to be so broad that you're going to have, you know, beanie baby NFTs that, you know, mm -hmm. I don't personally give a fuck about. And, and you're going to have, you know, really cool art projects, you know, that would be something that I'd be interested in. In. So uh, I think, you know, the established players will come in and they'll do things. And if they have value, those things will, you know, stick around. And if they come in and it's a, you know, kind of bullshit cash grab, it really won't stick around. So uh, I think people will, will get wise to the difference between those two pretty quickly. By the use yeah, case for think, the internet you know, is such a great line. I'm going to steal that line. Uh, no, yeah. no, I just copyrighted it and I just NFT'd it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody tweeted us saying, "Can we NFT this uh, episode?" Which I was like, "Huh." Um, uh, okay, Chris, uh, I, I know you have a question. Yeah. Well, the question I think about a lot is, you know, assuming people on stage and in the audience, you know, sort of agree with this movement and, and the kind of direction it's headed. How do we want the next 12, 24, 36 months to play out? You know, how, what, what can we do and other people who are interested in the space do to kind of contribute to a positive outcome? You know, I, and I guess related to that, what are, you know, what are the negative outcomes, you know, including, I don't know, a deluge of, of bad stuff or too much speculation, et cetera. Just like what, you know, I, I guess I'd just love to kind of go around and hear people, how they think people, things will play out and, and what can we do, you know, to the extent we have, some influence to to uh, contribute to to a good outcome, and what are the risks? I think my biggest fear, Chris, is seeing ICO two and I think we're all thinking about it. I, I, I agree. That's about, for sure. Yeah, I agree. That's a very bad outcome. 
And, and, I, and I don't want that to happen. And, and I want to encourage people to buy stuff that actually makes them feel stuff and not to buy stuff in assumption of making a profit. I think it's so important to distinguish that because there is, I just want to say this, I don't want to hate on the guy, but like Ian Bellina comes out of the internet and starts saying, who's making money on NFTs on Twitter? And I'm like, oh my God, this is not what we want right now. We want people to buy stuff that they're excited about that represents self-expression. We don't want people to start buying stuff because they think they can flip it for a thousand X. I mean, this is the same problem that we saw in 2017 that just crushed an incredible technology and discredited something that we were all excited about, right? And so I feel a responsibility after what just happened this weekend. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends about this. I feel a a strong personal responsibility to, to to the universe to say, please, like buy stuff that you like that you don't want to sell. Like I'm never selling my people that I own that I could easily make $170,000 on today. I am not selling it because I love it because it represents something that's meaningful to me. And I will hold that for the rest of my life and hopefully pass it on to my kids um, because it's such a moment of history, right? And, And I think that people just need to understand that yes, there's inevitably going to be speculation in this new world, but please like buyer beware, right? Like this is, this is a new age and this is not about making money. It's about expression. And, um, you know, I, I think people should just be careful. That's all. I think I, I look back at, and this was something that I was kind of worried about too, like, because it is very speculative right now. And, and I think, you know, I've talked to a couple people about this, um, and, and, and sort of comparing it again to the sort of early days of the internet and the dot com bubble. And that kind of, you know, it, it wiped out a lot out of the crap but it didn't wipe out the internet. People still use the internet and people kept using the internet. And that's what I think will probably play out with this. I think there is going to be a deluge of crap and, you know, some people will lose money on that stuff. And that's where I think people need to be very careful about, you know, thinking about the things that they're buying is, is this something that is going to have real true lasting power, you know, value wise. And, And so, um, but I don't think it's going to be something that, that sort of wipes out NFTs. I think the technology itself is, is agnostic enough and strong enough that it, it will survive, um, you know, kind of, you know, some of these bullshit use cases. I, I agree, by the way. I, I only wanted to, because Chris said, what's the worst case? And so I wanted to illustrate the worst case, but I do think that there's an incredible positive case here where people sure, are sure. using using NFTs for self-expression, which is something that we do in fashion, something that we do on Instagram with our selfies and photos that we take with friends, people's tastes become a part of their public image and profile. And that is something that, you know, used to ha- used to kind of exist in music with blogs and 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 kind of this this less centralized world where everything is kind of positioned in one place. What NFTs do is is it just creates this opportunity where someone can own digital assets that are interoperable across across all platforms in the internet and they represent someone's taste. And that is so powerful in and of itself. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, uh, Justin, just following up from what you just said, you know, there are lots and lots of people who are now really excited about this. I think folks here have been talking about how you've just been getting a lot of messages from folks in the industry, that kind of thing. Right now in the last hour or so on Twitter, we've just been seeing this huge influx of just messages, people just being enthusiastic. So I guess I have a couple of questions here. One is, uh, if you are new to this space and you're just getting started and you are excited about it, you see the opportunity, how do you get started? Like, what, what should you do? 
And for folks who've been in this, uh, you know, creators, founders who really see the value of NFT, uh, what what happens from here? Like, what do they do to like, um, you know, not just like to what Dylan said, not just see the monetary value side of things, but just uh, add more to this and make this a, you know, a really good sustainable platform. What happens there? So I have these two. Uh, and we can start with, you know, somebody who's just enthusiastic and who's just getting into this. Where should they get started and what should they do? And I'll throw it to the room, whoever wants to pick this up, because there's just a huge set of people here from like different parts of it. So I just wanted to like throw it to the room. Well, I, I would say, you know, I would imagine most most listeners are watching social media or participating on social media. And they're probably watching creators who they've followed for years, mm-hmm. you know, experiment with the medium. And I think that you have an opportunity to watch what they're doing. And if you've really loved that person's work, uh, it's a new form of patronage. And I would go in with, without the expectation of financial profit. I mean, at the end of the day, it is an asset and that's what makes it so powerful. But in, in my case, I haven't sold any of my NFTs, despite as you know, Justin mentioned, like getting right. many, many offers for above, well, well, what I paid. But I've been like, no, this is a piece that I wanted to own for so long. And this is the first time I've ever been able to do it. And so I think it's just like, find the creator that you followed on social media. And, and if they're going out and experimenting, participate, participate in that auction, participate in that drop. Um, you know, you don't even have to win the auction. I, I've, I've spoken to like, many, many people in the past month who have participated in auctions on foundation that just love the idea that they could potentially own the piece that the creator was sharing. And I think that's a, that's a great first step. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. Um, you know, I, I want to, you know, go, go to like, uh, you know, like Scott here. Um, you know, Scott, you know, uh, in many ways, you're kind of tied to, I would say, you know, the original uh, cypherpunk, uh, you know, uh, hardcore, uh, you know, crypto community. Um, and I'm kind of uh, curious about, like, when you think about that, you know, uh, did you ever, uh, how do you think about, like, the intersection of, like, that culture and, you know, what, what we're hearing with, like, Justin and Mike and the art world? Because they often seem so different. But how do you kind of see these two cultures uh, interacting? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I do, I do come from, like, grassroots Ethereum land. And I think there's sort of, like... Um, Grassroots Ethereum kind of like there's a lot of reasons why it broke off from Bitcoin, but I think like Ethereum community is very much kind of like uh the peace, love, and rock and roll sort of like <laughs> branch of Bitcoin. Um, and a lot of people like want to build if I think about like the ethos that drives the Ethereum community, it's sort of like the culture from Ian and Banks books um and it's like i i i i think being part of like this digital renaissance um is something that's very much like in the blood of the ethereum community and there was sort of like the crypto kitties first nft boom that brought a lot of people in and when like the ico bubble burst and there's kind of a large freezing of kind of the ethereum economy a lot of that stuff kind of died or went on life support. Um, but now that it's kind of roaring, roaring back, all the people that joined the Ethereum community to like be a part of that first like mini movement are now like really leading full into this. And I think there's a lot of people that really want to work with 
the artists that are coming in. Um, and there's a lot of people that really want to build, um, like, like build the tech behind these projects. Um, and I don't know, it's just been really exciting to kind of like see a lot of people wanting to join. And really if there's people out there that like want to get involved, um, like there's just a lot of things around like the Ethereum community where people are building and they're kind of like open projects and you can just jump in and really kind of go from being like the consumer of the NFTs to kind of being more part of what's happening. Um, and I think it's like a pretty powerful, I've seen like a lot of people make the decision to mm -hmm. switch to doing that. Um, and like, they've been pretty happy about the life path change. Uh, I, I love this card. And I, I think I love it because I think coming from you, you're kind of so close to the sort of the grassroots Ethereum world. That's just such a fantastic perspective. I love that. Um, I think by the way, it just, you know, I think on kind of a slight tangent for what you're talking about is I think one around scale. And I think Roham, I would like to kind of like throw this to you. Um, you know, I, I think it's like, it's like, you know, you folks are under tremendous load right now. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, and it's just an amazing spot to be. But I, I'm kind of curious, like, how far are we from a world where, you know, just the entire infrastructure can support, you know, potentially like millions of concurrent transactions? Are we talking, you know, a year? Are we talking five years? Like, what kind of steps do we need to, to get from here to there? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think, um, well, I mean, right now, the the all of the problems that Top Shot is facing are actually pretty traditional scaling uh, problems with, you know, sneaker bots and, and DDoS attacks and uh, security and this, this sort of thing. So we haven't started stressing out flow yet. And so we have bandwidth on flow. We've got uh, more projects launching on mainnet. Um, ben Morrow just did a drop this morning on, on vive.com, uh, $2 million in three minutes, everything sold out. So, um, so flow itself, I think can handle quite a bit more. Um, but when you're talking kind of, you know, global scale, uh, hundreds of millions of people and, and, you know, millions of applications, developers, creators, artists, et cetera. Um, I don't think we're, we're that far. And I think the combination is going to be, you know, blockchains like flow, um, Ethereum scaling solutions layer two, et cetera. Um, for, for certain applications, I think, I think they may work. Um, and then, you know, different, some companies are trying things with, sort of more centralized blockchains and, and private blockchains, et cetera, which um, I think I think are probably a bridge uh, too far for, for most consumers. It's just not authentic enough. But um, I think we're we're you know single digit years away from um, from being able to uh, handle considerable volume through a combination of different scaling factors. But the reality is I don't see necessarily, you know, for example, MBA Top Shot, like I said, most of the application is um, actually off-chain and and we we with the assets themselves um, are on the blockchain um, but but the but you know the, the blockchain component is a component of the stack rather than sort of hundred percent of the logic um, um, going on chain so we're the future projects may be different um, but I'm uh, I'm pretty optimistic now that I think the rate limiting factor is is ideas that get consumer uh, interest rather than um, infrastructure. So, um, and I think that that's an exciting, uh, place to be. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. Uh, we are way over time and, you know, it's, uh, 
it's almost 2:30 in the morning for east coast folks so thanks to everyone who's been staying up super late to listen to this this has been a really great room pretty packed through and through uh, i wanted to just uh, wrap with one last question and uh, just like ask around the room on just what like if there's one prediction that each of you could make and this could be prediction about uh, you know where does it all go in the next like year couple years a decade or so from now um you know where do you think this is going to go in in each of your relative fields i think you know you have like fields here with respect to digital art music building platforms marketplace uh in whatever aspect of uh, nft that you are into where like what's the one prediction that you want to make and uh, i'm just throwing it to the room so feel free to pick it up uh maybe um uh, mike you want to start sure um yeah i i think in terms of of digital art I think this is really going to be uh I honestly think it's going to be the next chapter of sort of art history. I think this is going to allow a uh, true collection of of digital art and I think you're going to see people sort of look back over the 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 history of the last 20 years of this artwork that there was no way to collect it in the past and I think um you know it, there's going to really be some some um looking back at, at who were the sort of uh you know major players and major trends over that time and it will be um you know seen as a a big sort of movement and a big sort of you know kind of line in the sand and and the next the next big chapter of art history so i uh, i'm just super super excited for that and and i think um you know exposing digital art to the wider traditional art world is is going to be really exciting uh you know for everybody yeah that's awesome Justin, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. I guess this is maybe an an unfair prediction because I probably know the result. But mm-hmm. I, I will say the past four days, at least like half of the top ten artists on Spotify are inquiring and are excited about issuing NFTs, as well as like some of the top athletes that I'm, you know, that I have friendships with. And so I think that in the next two months, we're going to see an influx of both supply, hopefully high quality supply, and consumption we're going to see a lot of fans start to think about how they want to convert into this ecosystem and maybe that on ramp is what you know what roham has built at topshot maybe that on ramp is nifty gateway that enables you to buy ethereum you know erc721s with a credit card but i will say that like the biggest people are about to enter and we're going to see a lot of development in the next 60 days on on how this will go and that's exciting um i think that that's really positive and i think that hopefully these big artists will will play right and create value for their fans and their fans will be really excited to engage in this new ecosystem and one last thought what people said um nailed it i think that we're living in the modern technological renaissance so it's going to be fun i love that uh i love to uh just add on i think it's going to be ownership um the future is in collaborations right so we're seeing you know kind of like the first wave of art you know and that is going to be valuable so mike as his collection builds as the years build he will always have a piece of his first piece and his family his estate so the ownership is really i think the future but collaborations new art when the athletes right start figuring out that you know they can have their ownership rights not only in the nba but the things that they do in summer league the things they do in training 
right? The artist can drop mixtapes, right? Um, and then also designers will be there to collaborate. So digital sneakers, uh, physical sneakers. So, you know, I think that, you know, there's going to be, you know, a need for trust, right? And systems and, and studios where people can build these things where, you know, it's protected and trusted. And I think that's where, you know, uh, our future lies and is, is super bright. I'll make a prediction. Um, if this is to succeed at a global scale and it becomes sort of a dominant form of how we consume art, then there should be trillions of NFTs being minted every year. And I think the platform that can handle that will be making most of the money, not from the people who are finding and selling gold, but in managing the ownership of it, of dealing with all the chores of owning things, you know, like securing, backing up, finding it, cataloging it, and all the other liabilities of ownership will be taken up by that platform. And that is where most of the money will be made. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I go for go it. Ahead, go ahead. Sure. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I think that NFTs will be the cornerstone for a bunch of creator and celebrity communities. I think we're going to see permissionless uh, remixing, and we're going to start seeing people remix NFTs in different contexts. Uh, and I think that ultimately, this is part of an even broader trend. Uh, you know, Mark is in the room. You had the quote, software is eating the world back in 2011, more a decade later now, and it's almost a cliche, mm -hmm. but the entire physical world is becoming digital, and this is the latest example of that. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I, I think that, that um, we might be in a hype cycle, and, and people might be disillusioned, but I mean, I think the technologists in the room know that this is, this is like a new layer to the internet that can't be kind of put back in the box. And I just don't see, and I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but I don't see a world in which there, every single piece of content on the internet is owned and ownable. And the whole internet gets re-architected around this. And then at the cultural level, you know, the, the, the physical world will just pale in comparison to the amount of art and content and curation that happens at, at the, on the internet level. And so there's just two huge seismic forces happening and they're not going to be stopped. And so it's going to be a really fun decade ahead of, of watching this unfold. Yeah. I, just a couple quick ones. Uh, one, it seems like we're definitely uh, headed for a bubble. Uh, that's going to be like a lot of the other bubbles um, that have like accompanied new technology infrastructure. But I think maybe like more importantly and more significant in like a human sense, um, we're like seeing the emergence of like a new social construct um, about like owning abstract things. And I think kind of like, even though we're thinking about it as owning a piece of art, like this idea that um, just like you can own a piece of land, which is kind of like a collective delusion we all buy into because it makes society work better. Um, the idea that you can own a digital thing is is going to have like similar ramifications for like 
how human society operates. Um, and it might even go deeper than like anything that we're thinking about today or in a year. But um, um, I mean, I, I mean, that's probably, you know, that sentence right there is probably one of the best notes to end on. Um, I think it's very clear. I mean, like that comment to, you know, what Kevin was talking about, where we don't want to put this back in the box to uh, Kevin's comment about, you know, what, where the value might be generated to everything Justin Mike said. Um, I mean, I think it's probably clear to everyone here, like we just the beginning and you can almost just feel the electricity and excitement from this room uh, where we all kind of just figure this out. Uh, and uh, we just, you know, on like day zero uh, to, uh, as Bezos would say, um, okay, I know we're way over time, but I want to kind of wrap this. Uh, first of all, this is such an uh, extraordinary show. Uh, it's probably one of the best ones we've ever done. Um, and I want to just thank so many people. I want to thank everybody who listened in and sent us questions and comments. Uh, we tried to get to a few, but uh, we're just going to get to so many. We, we can get to so many. And uh, rest assured, we're going to do many more of these. I, I think that was clear tonight. NFTs are only going to explode. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Justin kind of hinted at like what could be coming on just the supply side, on the artist side. There's going to be so much more, I'm sure, on like pretty every, pretty much every side. So we're going to do so much more. So send us thoughts, comments. Uh, we would love to have, you know, like the guests we had today, we'd love to have them back and do it in various forms. And I want to also, on the panel, just thank all of the guests. Uh, you know, our usual crew, uh, my co-host Arthi, our usual crew of like Mark, Avichal, uh, Chris Dixon for providing us all the uh, the crypto insights. Uh, Steven uh, Sinovsky, as usual, and um, and then all of our guests, um, Baron for jumping in. Uh, you know, it just by the way, so by the way, I have to say, what can get more twenty twenty one than you know um, Baron and Mark just talking about art? That was just a really really <laughs> cool uh, moment right there. Uh, and to everybody else, Thank to you. Dylan, uh, thanks Baron and like from Dylan. Uh, to Kevin, who's kind of the OG of the space, uh, to Scott, to Kwan, to uh, to Mike, and to Justin, uh, and just like thank you so much for just amazing insight, which has been overwhelmed by all the tweets, all the comments, and um, I just want to say thank you for not just being on the show, thank you for what everything you've done, and just kind of pushing the boundaries, and you know, I'm, I I think it's safe to say like you know we're going to just see some amazing things from everybody um, here, and I'm for I'm super excited. Okay, so we have a tradition on this show where we end each episode with some piece of music which is tied to one of the speakers or the content we have listened to. And this one is special because we actually have a legit DJ slash producer in the room. So, uh, <laughs> Justin, uh, what are we going to listen to now? You know, And then I'll play it. Thank you for having me. We're going to be listening to the rarest NFT from my album drop this past weekend. It's a song called Touch. Let's do it. All right, Stephen, take us away. Stephen. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Hey, Stephen, are you here? No? Okay. Good song. There we go. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone.